It's good to see you guys. Welcome everybody watching at our uh, live sites and on live stream and on Facebook, on the internet. Welcome as well. And uh, it's good to be together. My name is Jeff. If I haven't got to meet you, uh, I've been traveling quite a bit this summer. So if you've come in the last few weeks or even if you're our guest this weekend, I'd love to, to shake your hand and connect with you a little bit. So I sound like Ryan. This is what Ryan would look like if he gained 20 pounds and grew his hair back. Uh, so, but I'm not Ryan, but I would love to, uh, to meet you guys a little bit. Uh, hey, I wanted to, too, uh, celebrate with, uh, with you, like Josh was saying. Thank you for a great, great summer here at Grace. Uh, with Bible camp and sports camps, we had about 100 kids except Christ as their Savior. If you kind of add into that also uh, our junior high camp and our, our Momentum Youth Conference, which is for uh, senior high kids, uh, freshmen to seniors in college, you're talking probably 150 folks who accepted Jesus over the course of the summer here at Grace. And that's a, that's a huge deal. And, and when you guys think about you're, you volunteering or giving of your time, uh, when you think about uh, like the offering that we collect in here, maybe you give online consistently, uh, that's where all of that winds up. It's what it turns into, right? It turns into us uh, connecting with people, serving people, always being clear about the gospel of Jesus with them, and then people's lives being changed. So I'm so grateful for that. Uh, folks who took vacation and took these kids across the, uh, the country, even across the world, uh, people across the world that are being affected by Jesus Christ, that those million meals, those are thousands of kids that are going to eat. Literally, that's what that is. It's famine relief. Those thousands of kids are going to eat. But all that work and all these programs and all the money that you give and invest, that's, that's uh, where it all lands and, and what we do with it here at Grace. So just thank you for being a part of that. And I hope that you own that and celebrate that personally, that when you s hear those stats or see those kind of images, that um, in your prayer and your giving and your time investment that you, you realize, hey, I, I played a part in that. It's, we could only do it together. So thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be a part of a, of a church family that values those kind of things. So thanks for tying into it. We're, uh, we're in a series right now called A Good Kind of Weird. We, we started last weekend and and uh, what we're doing through this series, and we'll, and we'll roll out a few more series throughout the fall, but we're, we're taking the semester from now until really Christmas time. And what we're doing is defining clearly what a follower of Jesus Christ is. So kind of like point by point, what, what does Christ actually call us to? What does he actually want from us? And if I was going to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ, what would that actually mean in my life. And we talked last weekend about how there's all kinds of noise in our culture right now. And a lot of people who have very little to do with the heart and the mind of Jesus, taking his name, taking the Bible, taking the term church, taking the cross and perverting it and doing things in the name of hate, doing things in the, in the name of, of division, and, and doing things that are really evil and sinful, but there's a cross on it, this church says this, or I'm a Christian and this is the way we think. And we said, you know, I, I personally, I look at stuff like that. Uh, if you're just watching the news here in the last week or so, I, I look and I hear the name of Jesus or the term church or the cross and like I cringe. I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want anything to do with it because when I understand God's word, I'm like, they, they don't in any way reflect the heart and the mind of Jesus, but they're calling themselves a Christian. And so that kind of noise is all through our culture. It's on 
on the political left, on the political rights, even the mainstream. And we would look, you would know somebody, you see these things on TV that are horrific, but you would also know somebody like that, maybe. Maybe you grew up that way, or you know a guy that you did a business deal, and he ripped you off, but he went to church all the time, or on and on and on and on. The name and the cause and, and the Word of God. We know about people who manipulate God's Word, and they hurt people, and they abuse people with it, or they take their money with it, or they make them promises because they took some Bible verse out of context. And so we just said, you know, there's all of this noise. What, what does it even mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so what we're doing throughout this, this semester is we're kind of getting down into the words, the habits, the, the example of Jesus himself. And we're going to kind of go back to the stream and say, okay, originally, what was God calling us to? And if I'm a follower of Jesus, maybe that brings some correction, some redefinition in my life. If you're just kind of an intellectually curious person, uh, I told you last weekend, I'm just going to put, uh, put the cards on the table and just explain it. That's kind of the way grace rolls. Like we're not gonna, we don't pressure folks much or make promises. We're, I, I'll just teach you the Bible and be like, here you go. Now you kind of decide what to do with it. So we want to get down and kind of explain it that way, but get a real picture of Jesus and figure out what we're actually pursuing and what God has actually called us to. So we started diving into that last weekend, and, and we said th this is what's weird. Christians, Christ followers, are supposed to be weird. We, we were never meant to fit into to the mainstream, but weird in a good way, like the good kind of weird. So ever since the beginning, Jesus himself and then all of his followers, we have never fit in. Uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ has never lined up uh, succinctly with any culture we've existed in ever. So we've never agreed with like cultural norms about like power, uh, sex, money, materialism. Like, we, we've never been in sync with that from ancient cultures to the one today. We've always been uh, kind of out of the mainstream. So in most cultures, and certainly ours today, there's kind of like the right, right? There's kind of like the political right and the right. And then there's the other extreme, which is the left, the political left and the left. And then there's the mainstream, right? So the political right is like, ah, and the political left is like, ah, and the mainstream is like, leave us alone, right? That's, that's where the mainstream would be. And Jesus would be in none of those options. He made his own path, his own way. And he, in fact, he says, he says, I am the way. I don't fit over here. I don't fit over there. And I actually don't fit in the middle. I'm my own thing. I'm calling you to something completely different than you've ever been called to before. And people who follow Jesus choose to go the way of Jesus. And I'm, I'm telling you, as we go through this, it, it won't sync up. Like it's going to, as we unfurl this over the months, it's going to mess with your politics, it's going to mess with your money, it's going to mess with your preconceptions, it's going to mess with your religion. Because when you get down to what Jesus said and he did, it was different than all those other things. So we're just exploring what that way is, what that path is, and then kind of looking at our own lives and saying, how do I sync up with it? Because that's what followers of Christ do. We, we look at Jesus' words, we look at his example, we look at his habits, we look at his life, and we say, okay, he defined the way. Now, how do we take those things and weave them back into our life, into our minds, and into our heart so that we are followers of Jesus, not participants in whatever culture we happen to live in 
at the time, okay? So what I want to do this weekend is is launch into that. By the way, if you want to hear that first conversation, go to our website, graceohio.org. It's all there. Or you can get the app, the new app. If you go to the app store and search Grace Ohio 30 in 30, you'll find the new app. And you can download that. And all the notes and that conversation, everything is, is right there. And you can kind of catch up to speed with it a little bit. This weekend, I want to start kind of farming that out a little bit and pulling out these definitions. What, what, are, what are the weird things that the followers of Jesus are known for, okay? So one of the weird things that we do is we look at how Jesus interacted with people, what he did with the people around him, and how he valued the people around him. And followers of Christ, that's what we would do. We, we would say, yeah, we value the people around us differently than maybe everybody else does. We, we interact with them differently. We would say different things. We'd have a different motive in our relationships and conversations with the people around us, okay? And so what I want to do is I want to I do what followers of Christ have done since the beginning of the church. Let's look at what Jesus did. And then we'll, we'll go to the apostles. The way the Bible kind of works is Jesus set the example, and then he spoke through guys like Paul and Peter and James, those guys, he spoke through the apostles who explained how to mimic that to the early church. And we call that the scriptures, and so we'll look at those things, and we'll figure out what that stuff was, and we'll pull it into our life, okay? So how did Jesus interact with the people around him? What was his heart and his mind toward the people that he encountered, and what did he do? So the place that I would take us, if we were just looking for like a quick thumbnail, uh, kind of a brief summary of what Jesus was like in relation to this conversation, I would take us to Matthew chapter 9, okay? So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and, and 36, what did Jesus do Right? Let's figure that out, and then we'll figure out how to translate it into our life. So this is the story. This is what was Jesus was doing. Chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 35, Matthew. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Okay, so let's just talk about this for a second. What did he do? First of all, he went through all the towns and villages. That's important. Because Jesus did not set himself up on a, on a mountaintop. And you had to climb the mountain and ring the bell and Jesus would appear, right? Uh, Jesus did not put himself behind the walls of a monastery. Uh, Jesus did not make himself a mystery. He did not position himself in such a way that somehow everybody was on the outside looking in trying to figure Jesus out. Jesus went to people. He kind of left his starting position and went out to people and started to connect with them. And where did he go? The towns and villages. And then he taught in their synagogues. So the synagogues in, the, in this part of the ancient world uh, did several things. Uh, a synagogue was for sure a, a religious center where you would understand and kind of study and debate religious ideas. But the synagogue was also the cultural center of a city or a town. It was the philosophical center of a city, of town, or city or town, and it was the political center of a city or town. So Jesus goes out to towns and villages, and think of it this way, he engages the, the culture of the day. 
He, he engages the politics. He engages the religion. He engages the culture. He, he engages that, that thinking environment of the day. But he, he didn't go make himself be discovered. He went to them, and he went to where the culture was happening and the thought was happening, and he locked into it. Now, what did he do when he got there? Well, he went to the towns and villages, teaching the synagogues, and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom, right? Well, the good news of the kingdom starts with bad news and ends with great news, okay? So here's the good news of the kingdom. First, the bad news. The Bible would teach us and Jesus would tell us that we are sinners and that that sin separates us from a holy God. So the only way for you and I, for any human being, to get to heaven would be for us to live an absolutely perfect life because God is perfect. So if you or I could live an absolutely perfect life, we could get to heaven on our own. Now, does anybody here think that they're perfect? If you raise your hand, then you're self-righteous. Now you're not perfect. So there you are. You're with the rest of us, right? So the Bible says all have sinned. And we fall short of the glorious of God or God's glorious or perfect standard. So that's the bad news that starts the good news. The good news of the kingdom then is this. Even though we're a sinner, God loves you. He's not out to get you. He's not waiting to deep fry you. There is a heaven, there is a hell, but God wishes that none would perish and go to hell. So he loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, who came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He willingly laid his life down on the cross, and by his own power, he took it up again. And in doing that, the Bible says he defeated sin and death. So when I ask for the forgiveness of my sins from Jesus alone, because Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, the life, nobody comes to the Father except through him. When I ask for the forgiveness of my sins from Jesus alone, he's faithful and he's just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from unrighteousness. That's the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus doesn't hoard that news and keep it. And like, if you can find me, maybe I'll let you know. He goes to towns and villages, he tells it. He attaches it to the, to the cultural center of that community where we're talking religion, politics, culture, philosophy right there. And he teaches or proclaims, hey, by the way, you're a sinner. I'm your savior. I am the promised Messiah you have been looking for. Proclaims the goodness of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and sickness. So as he's journeying, he's not ignoring people's physical needs. He's not like, oh, I'm sorry you're so sick. Eh, well, you'll be in heaven one day, right? Sorry you're starving to death. I don't need to send a million meals. You'll be fine. He also engages people's physical needs. Oh, this is what's going on in your life. This is what's going on in your, in your health. This is what's going on in your, your relationships, right? So he heals every disease and sickness. And then the passage goes on, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's a really important thing. So Jesus, when he saw these, these crowds, who were these crowds? These crowds were sinners. And the Bible says that when I am a sinner, in my heart, I'm an enemy of God. So these crowds are full of people who hate him. And when he saw people who hate him and deeply, deeply disagree with him and rebel against him, he did not view them with contempt. I'm here to let you know y'all gonna fry. He did not view them with, with, with a competitive spirit. 
your religion's dumb. I'm bringing you a new one, and I'm going to win in the end, right? He, he didn't view them with, with a condescending spirit. <sighs> you believe that? Uh, so dumb. Who believes that? When Jesus looked at people who didn't know about him and who hated him and were deeply opposed to him, he had compassion on them. His heart grieved for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looked at his enemies, when he looked at people, the Bible uses the word ignorant, but not in a condescending way. It just means absent of knowledge. When people who just didn't know who he was, didn't know there was another way to live. When he looked at people like that, he looked and said, you know what's behind that? Yes, they're sinners. Yes, there is a heaven and a hell. Real people go to hell. Real people go to heaven. You have to have your sins forgiven. He didn't just say, ah, you know what? Everybody, just forget it. He, he made a way to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom. But when he looked at them, he said, they're harassed. Behind their behavior is pain a lot of times. They're behind their hard heart is pain. They're harassed. If you grew up in the inner city and you never knew who your dad was and your mom couldn't keep food on the table and you lived in a violent neighborhood and you got beat up for going to school, maybe you might act a certain way too. You've been harassed. If you were sexually abused and somebody in your family hurt you that way and it was a pattern over your life, maybe your sexuality, there's something behind it. Maybe that's why you sleep around a lot. Maybe there's pain. Maybe there's a harassment. If you were oppressed by your government, like the Romans oppressed the Jews, and you were frustrated and you had no voice and you can't turn to the police because they're corrupt, maybe you would lash out. That's what the Jews were doing during, the, during this time. They're harassed and helpless. Maybe you were raised in a godless culture. Maybe part of the reason why you're a bigot is because you were raised by bigots. You have to be taught. That doesn't come naturally. You have to be taught to hate somebody for those reasons. You're harassed. Maybe there's something more there. Maybe your political views or your economic views that I might deeply disagree with, maybe there's a reason and Jesus will look and he said, I have compassion because they're harassed. And on top of all of that, and just fill in your blanks, right? Fill in your harassment. On top of all that, the Bible says, and the devil hates you and seeks to destroy you. So he looks and says, these, these people who hate me, I, there's more to their story. They're harassed and they're helpless. They're helpless to break out of these cycles. If your grandfather was an alcoholic and your father was an alcoholic and your mother was an alcoholic and now you're an alcoholic, you're not just going to snap out of your addiction. You're harassed and you're helpless. If you're in generational poverty or generational hate or generational dysfunction, if you're four generations into divorce in your marriage, it probably makes a lot of sense why you're struggling right now. You're just going to, you're helpless. And spiritually, I'm not getting myself to heaven and neither are you because the perfect scale, I'm just not going to pass it. 
So when Jesus, he went, he proclaimed, he had compassion, he engaged people on their physical levels, on their, on their earthly needs. But when he looked at their heart, it wasn't with competitiveness, it wasn't with a contempt, it wasn't with being condescending, it was with a compassion. Man, this is, this is what's going on in this person's life. And they are helpless to overcome it. They're helpless to break free from it. What they have to know is the good news of the kingdom, right? Now, what a Christ follower does is we're going to look at that. I'll say, okay, well, there's a, boy, that's pretty clear, right? That's what Jesus did. That's what he said. That's how he acted. That's how he was motivated. How do I follow Jesus? How do, how do I take those things and then pull them into my life, have my mind renewed, my heart transformed, so that, that, that I'm expressing the heart and mind of Jesus the way that he would, right? Now, this is where the apostles kick in. So the apostle Paul, and, and for this weekend, is who we're looking at, he took that example of Jesus and he started to teach us through the scriptures how the church translates that kind of into our lives and our action. And that's actually where I want to camp this weekend. So grab your Bibles if you got them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is page 805 in those Bibles in the chairs. <clears throat> and if you want to use the app, uh, it's on there. Just hit sermon or hit notes. It's right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 805. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible or a newer one, or if you just need an extra one, just take one of those with you. And let's read this together. And yes, I am putting on glasses because it has happened to me. <laughs> I have middle age has caught up with me. So mock me all you want. You're going to get old. And I'm going to rub it in. Don't come to me looking for sympathy. Just because you can read small print. Jerk. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. Drop down to verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, that's Christ, Christ followers he's talking about, gave us Christ followers the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and, uh, in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to Christ followers, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you uh, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And I want to pick this passage apart a little bit and talk about this is what Jesus did, Matthew chapter 9. What do his followers then do? What is the way or the path that he laid out? Okay, so the Apostle Paul starts 
verse 11, and he says this. He says, since, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What's he talking about? He's saying this. Since we know the story, the good news of the kingdom. So we know that, we know that the good news starts with bad news. Since we now know that we're sinners. By the way, the Bible says we didn't know that. Right? So the, the law tells us that. The Bible says, so now I know that I'm a sinner. Now I know I'm imperfect. You ever lie? You ever steal? You ever cheat? You ever have a lustful thought? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. All have sinned. We know that. And we know that there's a hell and a heaven. We know that there's an afterlife. We know that there's a judgment. We learned this last weekend. So I have to be accountable to God for my sin. And, and God's going to look at me and say, did you ever receive the salvation offered through my son Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? It's a yes or no answer. If I say no, he's going to say, depart from me, I don't know you. I, I sent my son, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. I provided a way of escape. Today is the day of salvation, one name under heaven by which you can be saved. You knew that, you rejected all of that. I'm, I, I, I love you and it breaks my heart, but you're separated from me. If the answer is I have received that forgiveness and I followed you, then it's well, enter, enter into your rest. Welcome to heaven, right? So because, Paul's saying because we know all of that, and we have a fear of the Lord. That word fear means awe, respect. Uh, we, ha we, we have an understanding of the Lord. It doesn't mean like I tremble, I'm afraid of God. It means like, ugh, now I have a respect for that. Because of that, we try to persuade others. Because of that fear of God, that knowledge of God, we now, we now go to the towns and villages and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. We go and, and we enter the cultural fray and tell the good news of the kingdom. We enter the culture of our families and our friends and our dorm and, you know, where, and, and we, enter, we, we proclaim the good news of the kingdom because we understand that. Right? Now, for the Christ follower, that is an act of love. We would look and say, hey guys, we're going to tell you this good news of the kingdom because we care about you and we want you to know about this. We're going to do, Paul goes on down in verses 14 and 15, he says this, for Christ's love compels us. See, it's an act of love. His love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We're going to, because we love you, we're going to tell you that. Hey, listen, boy, we have... We know what it is to fear the Lord now, and I'm telling you, your soul's at stake, your eternal destiny's at stake, and, and we want to persuade you, we want to tell you that you, you, got, you need to live for the one who died for you. Ask forgiveness of your sin, give your life to Christ, live for him. He died and he rose again, because that's the path to eternal life, right? Now, that idea isn't the funnest idea in our culture right now. So right now in our culture, and it's fine, it just is what it is, but right now in our culture, it's very offensive for me to look at you and say, I know something that you should know, and I follow a path and you should follow it too. Or I have a faith and, and my faith is the only path to heaven and your faith is wrong, right? So, so when we go to people, we're not going with com uh, a competition, we're not going to be condescending, 
Uh, we're, not going, we're going with the compassion motivated by love because we've been made aware of a truth. A few years ago, my buddy called me up and he goes, uh, he goes hey, you want to go four-wheeling? He goes, you got a four-wheeler, I got a four-wheeler, you want to go four-wheeling? I'm like, it, can I wear camo? He's like, yes. I'm like, can we play country music the whole time? He's like, yes. I'm like, can I bring a gun for no good reason? He's like, yes. I'm like, I'm in. I'm totally in. You just like, you like gave me my dream day. And so we, we loaded up our four wheelers and we drove down to West Virginia. And in West Virginia, there's these, there's these trails that there's hundreds of miles of these trails that you can ride four wheelers on. So we got down there and God blessed us because the night before we went four wheeling, it rained. And so there were mud puddles everywhere. And if you go four-wheeling, this is actual federal law. If you go four-wheeling and you come back and your four-wheeler is clean, the government will take it from you and throw you in prison. You're not allowed to do it. And so we, we had a blast. And so we're just going through these mud puddles and like spraying each other with mud and diving it. We're just dripping wet, right, and having a blast. So we do this all day long. We're getting near the end of the day. My friend got way ahead of me because he's a bad friend. And so he, he got way ahead of me. I didn't know where he was. And, and I'm going down this trail. And as I, I kind of pull around this corner and I see like this trail go off to the, to the right. And down that trail, I see what I think is a big mud puddle. And I'm like, oh, I got to have like a grand finale to this day, right? So I, I pull off this, tra- this side trail get about 100 yards or so down this trail, and there's this big sign, do not enter, skull and crossbones, letters, you will soon die if you go through this, like warning, warning, warning. So I went around it, and, and I go around this sign, and I see what I think is this big mud puddle, and I'm just going for it because we're about done, and I want to go with the grand finale, right? So I gun it, I drive my four-wheeler into this. It's not a mud puddle. It's more like a sinkhole, right? And I go in. I don't even know how deep it was. I never even touched bottom. And I go in. My four-wheeler just goes in like face first with me. I hung on the whole time, by the way. (laughs) And so I I go on face first. We both go, me and the four-wheeler, we go under the water, like the buoyancy of the wheels, like takes the four-wheeler, flips it up, and it flips it up over me, and I'm hanging on to it. And it comes on top of me in the water. So I'm there, still hanging on, still giving it gas for some reason, <laughs> right? And I'm there hanging on. I'm under the water. I have like camo. I have big boots on. I have a helmet on. And I'm just like sinking like a rock while my four-wheeler's bobbing on top of me. So I pushed it off to the side with Herculean strength, right? And I pushed it off to the side. And now I'm kind of like going under the water. And I kind of, I had to get my helmet off because the water was filling it. And I couldn't breathe. So I got my helmet off and I crawled out of the mud hole there, got off to the side, and I crawled up to the road because I, I was stuck and my friend had left me and didn't come back for like an hour because he's a jerk. And so I'm standing there on the road. I'm covered head to toe in mud. I'm soaked. Ready? Other four-wheelers are coming up. They're seeing the same thing that I saw and they're drawn to it. And I, ready, now have a fear of a respect of that trail. I know what's down there. So I'm at the front of the trail trying to persuade them. See? I, I know what's down there. I'm not being a jerk. I'm not trying to control them. I'm not trying to get them to join my team. I'm not trying to get them to vote for four-wheeler rights. 
I'm trying to persuade them, hey, listen, please don't do that. Like, I literally just almost died, okay? That's what a Christ follower does. That would be like a hallmark of our life. It, it's not, we're not competing. We don't think that people who don't believe in Jesus are dumb. Uh, we're, we're not being condescending. It, it's with compassion, but it's, there's an urgency there. Oh man, I didn't know. Like nobody told me, now I've known. And, and I've experienced the forgiveness of Christ. I never experienced that before. Now I know something about it. I want you to know this. In fact, you're my friend, my roommate, my family, or whatever. I love you. I actually believe that if you don't believe this, you're going to lose your soul. So I'm going I'm to try to tell you. Now, I, I tell you, if you're not a Christ follower, I tell you, Christ followers in general stink at this. All passion, very little skill. But that's why we're doing it. See? Be because we believe. We fear the Lord. And we believe that that's the eternal outcome if you don't know and respond to Jesus, okay? Now, as a Christ follower, that's going to be a hallmark of our life, right? So like these Bible camps and mission trips we celebrated earlier, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars involved in that. Why would we all pull our money and spend it on that? Because we believe this. We want you to know, See, why would we give up our week's vacation and go and have a sleepless night at a camp? Because we believe this. We want you to know. We're trying to persuade. Not because we want to be jerks or because we think you're dumb, but because we believe so deeply in what we've discovered. Now, if you're a Christ follower, how, how do you do this? And, and if I was picking a word to describe how we should do it and how Jesus did it, I would pick this word. I would pick the word selflessly. We should do this selflessly. We proclaim the good news of the kingdom, not for our benefit, but only for the benefit of the people around us. We want to meet people's needs, not so we can get something for them, but because Jesus healed every disease and sickness. We want to do this selflessly. The Apostle Paul says it this way in, in the next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, so, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What's a worldly point of view? A worldly point of view is a contractual point of view. Uh, so think of it this way. Uh, why are salespeople nice to us? Because they want us to buy something. Why are we nice to them? because we want them to service us as we buy something. There's nothing sinful about that. Don't hear me wrong. It's just a, a contractual thing. You're only, that salesperson's only going on out of their way to get to know me because they want something from me. By the way, it's the reason I walked into the store, right? Why am I nice to my waiter or my waitress? Because I want something from them. Why are they nice to me? Because they want something from me. And that can be, that, there's nothing sinful about that. It can be very pleasant and warm and all those kind of things. But I walked into that restaurant to get my breakfast and they walked over here to serve it to me. I want good service. They want a tip. That's a worldly point of view. I, I'm going to interact with you based on what you can give to me and what I can return to you. There has to be a mutual value. Paul says, we don't regard anyone that way anymore. Well, how do we regard them? Like Jesus, in a selfless way. 
when Jesus was healing every disease and sickness, he wasn't looking at people and saying, hey, listen, if you give me a hundred bucks to send in your prayer hanky, maybe I'll pray for your sickness. Hey, if you come to my church and start tithing, maybe I'll care about your family. Hey, tell you what, if you bow right now and call me King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I'll give you this food and relieve your hunger. He didn't do any of that. There was no preconditions to his love, no preconditions to his service. Now, was he shy at all about proclaiming the good news? No. He's absolutely, you know, on point with that. But his interaction with people was selfless. He gave of himself. And then he goes on, later on, the Bible goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, and, and we would say, not only should we be selfless, but we should do all this with gentleness and respect. I'm not here to shout you down. I'm not here to say you're a jerk. I'm not here to have a political argument with you. I just want you to know the good news of the kingdom. I just almost drowned in that hole over there. I want you to know. I wasn't standing on the side of the road saying, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> if you give me 50 bucks, I'll let you know about the death threat down the road. I don't know. It's the love of Christ. Jesus gave himself for us. I didn't ask Jesus to come to the earth. He did it for me. I didn't ask Jesus to die. He did it for me. I didn't even know I needed him to do that. He gave himself to us. Now we serve and don't just seek to be served. We consider others, people's interests above our own. We proclaim this good news. We go to the towns and villages, but we do it with compassion. We do it with selflessness. We do it with gentleness and respect. And a Christ follower is to be known for this. This is the hallmark of, of our lives. Not just what we believe, but how we communicate and the relationships that we have, and how we value the people, not with an earthly value, but how we value the people God brings across our lives. And that's to be our hallmark. If you started putting things up and saying this, this, and this equals a Christ follower. Does that make sense? Let me show you this. So think of it this way. If I put these images up, who would you think of? It's Cleveland basketball, St. V's, Akron, Nike, Sprite. Who are we talking about? LeBron James, the greatest basketball player in the history of the world, right? So LeBron James, that's who we're talking about. If we put these images up, who will we think about? Hates Michigan, hates cats, loves Ohio State, Grace Church, lives naked, goes to CrossFit at least once a year, and teaches the Bible. Who are we talking about? Jeff Bogue, you are welcome, right? Now let's put these images up. Who are we talking about? <laughs> who are we talking about? Ryan Roadman, right? Pastor Ryan. Notice there's not one spiritual thing up there. <laughs> See what I'm saying? So the, these are like, these are hallmarks. When I, when I think of this person, I think of these things. When I see these things, it causes me to think of this person. The hallmark of a Christ follower would be when I encounter somebody who actually acts on what they believe, and they are compassionate, and they are gentle, and they are respectful, and they want nothing in return, oh, that's a Christ follower. See, that's, how, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. Now, that idea, he, he gives it a name. And the name that Paul gives it is ambassadorship. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 now, on down the chapter, he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
So those hallmarks, Paul says, right, that, that's called a, being an, an ambassador. An ambassador is one who is sent by their sovereign to communicate the sovereign's heart and mind. So when an ambassador comes, they don't tell you what they want to tell you. They tell you what the king who sent them told them to tell you. An ambassador doesn't go to people and share their opinions. That They go and tell you the heart and the mind of the king. The ambassador doesn't make side deals. Yeah, I tell you what, you give me 50 bucks, I'll tell you what the king said. You, you reach out right now and touch your television screen and sow a seed of faith, I'll tell you what the king said. That's not what the ambassador does. The ambassador is sent. They freely, they openly, they even eagerly tell you the message of the king. It's their hallmark, and they represent the heart and the mind of the king. The king is compassionate. The king is respectful. The king is gentle. The king cares about you even in your everyday life, and the king's message is the message of the kingdom, right? And the ambassador comes and proclaims all that as if the king himself was there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this message as if Christ himself were making this appeal. And when you think about a Christ follower and who we are to be and how we are to communicate and what our home, if, if we put our collage up, what our hallmarks are, are to be, it's to be reflective of Jesus. And how did he do it? Matthew chapter 9. He went, he engaged he, 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 he wasn't shy about the good news of the kingdom. He saw people who hated his guts. He had compassion on them. He wasn't bitter at them, right? He, he cared about their physical needs. He, tried, he met those. He, he saw them as harassed and helpless and with gentleness and respect, right? He didn't regard people from a worldly point of view. He loved them. He gave the message of the kingdom without apology and without a precondition. Penn Gillette is a, a magician and a comedian. Maybe you've heard of Penn and Teller. You ever heard of Penn and Teller? So he's the pen part of the teller. He's the one that talks, if you know their show a little bit. And Penn Gillette interacted with an ambassador one night. And his interaction with the ambassador was so striking to him that he went on YouTube and shot a video and posted it. So I want you to watch his, his video and I want you to think about the ambassador that was interacting with him and how being or embracing that identity of an ambassador affected Penn's heart and mind, okay? I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and, uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language, and um, and then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition um, 
I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. That's ambassadorship. That's it, right? Uh, I, I went. I, we don't know. I don't know who this guy was that did this. He just went to his show, right? He picked up on something, cared enough to take a chance, did a kind gesture, acted on what he believed in. That's all he did. Was gentle and respectful. He was compassionate. He cared about him and. And he made a move. That's it. it. It's what Jesus would have done if he was there. Jesus had this little phrase. He said it a lot. He said, let him who has ears, let him hear. Today we'd say, you know, take it or leave it. I'm just, we'd say things like, I'm just putting it out there. Just, you know, when did you have this? That's all. And, and Jesus did that. He's like, yeah, I'm just, it's up to you. But here's the good news of the kingdom. I love you. I'm going to serve you. You don't have to serve me back. I care about you. And that's ambassadorship. And the idea is this. 
when people look at you, if you're a follower of Christ, when people look at you and they put the collage of your life up, the idea is this, that when the collage of your life goes up, they actually guess Jesus. Is it Jesus? No, it's Bill. Oh. As if Christ himself were the one making the appeal. Now, I think, I think there's, there's a few seats that we would sit in this weekend, right? So one seat is, is those of us who think of ourselves, we would label ourselves Christ followers, would call ourselves a Christian. And, and, and we would need to receive this conversation a few ways. So like one, if you're a really new follower of Jesus, and, and a bunch of us are here at Grace, pretty normal, uh, for you, you might be like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, I just, I just, you know, was excited that my sins were forgiven. So now, now you know. And if you say, what does God actually want? Well, this is a piece of what he actually wants. He wants you to strive to be an ambassador. Okay, so now you know. Some of us who've been Christians for a while, I, I think the question is, how, w- how would people perceive you? So we talked last week, and the word Christian in the ancient world wasn't something you called yourself. It was an accusation that was made of you. People would look at the collage of your life. They'd be like, you're a Christian. So when people look at your life, do they, do they think that? When, when, they, when they look at the platforms that you stand on, would they think Jesus, right? When they look at your social media, by the way, let's just talk about this for a second. Your social media... Twitter, Snapchat, MomBook, whatever you're on, your, your social media is the largest platform that you have in your life. So, so if, if I looked at you one week and I said, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm tired, I'm tapping out, I want you to speak. You come up here, you stand in front of thousands of people, you look at the camera and talk to thousands and thousands of more, would you say up here what you say on social media? Would that be the message of your life? So when people look at your collage, what do they see? Oh, that guy, he hates Trump. That guy thinks Hillary should go to prison. That guy doesn't eat meat. That guy's into Pilates. That guy started a new business. That guy, that guy is selfie king. Like, what... What, is, what, is, what would the collage of your life speak, right? And what Paul's saying is it would, if you were standing where I stand, talking to hundreds and thousands of people, is, is that the conversation you would have? Or would it be the message of the king who gave you the platform, right? So if you're a follower of Christ, wherever that is for you personally, that, that's like the level that you wouldn't want to think through ambassadorship with, right? Now, another seat would be this. Maybe you're here and you're just an intellectually curious person and you took me up on our deal last week because I told you last week, oh, we're going to do all semester. I'll lay the cards out. No secrets here. I'll just lay the cards out. 
So you're an intellectually curious person, and I laid the cards out, and, and you look and say, oh, that. Not all the noise, that. So what I'm saying to you, or what I want you to think about is, if you ever thought about following Jesus, I want you to know that you're signing up to be an ambassador. So our, our, our interaction with Christ is, is personal, but it's actually not private. We sign up to proselytize, we sign up to go, we sign up for these things. So I just want you to know that. So if you, if you said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, you're, you're kind of by default saying yes to that because that's actually what it means to follow him, okay? Then I believe that there's a third chair here. You might have grown up a little bit like I grew up. I grew up in a very religious setting, okay? And, and I would say to you that for the most part, that was probably negative for me. I grew up, I, I was never taught to love Christ. I was taught to knock it off and get my act together. I was taught to go to church. When I heard about Jesus, I mostly heard he was ticked off and on the verge of deep frying me. And if I did certain sins that the church selected as the worst ones, then I would get like a, a double deep fry kind of a thing. And so I was told to avoid these certain things and you better not have these markers in your life. And because I'm kind of an intellectually curious person and a skeptic by nature, I started asking questions and I found out that half the stuff they were pushing wasn't even in the Bible. And I just, I was out. So I was mad, I was disillusioned, I was a little bit hurt, and, and I bet a lot of us are that way. We got beat up with Jesus. The Bible was a thump in the head instead of a draw to the heart. And we know, we know everything that the church stands against and hardly nothing that we stand for. And our, our, our folks forced us into it. Grandma made us go. Mom and dad threw me in that school because they were afraid I was going to do drugs, but you can find them everywhere. And so, like, that, that's just what I, that's how I grew up, and I, I hate it. Or, or this person, the, the most spiritual person in my life abused me. The most spiritual guy in my life controlled me. The most spiritual person in my life manipulated me, wanted my money, wanted my, Right? So we have all kinds of pain and all kinds of baggage. And I'll be honest with you, until I was a junior in college, if you even had this, this, this conversation with me, I was not even open to it. Because I, I was just done. So if you're in that seat, th this is what I would ask you to do. If you could take that pain and that frustration and that hypocrisy and all that kind of stuff, if you could kind of mentally take all of that and emotionally take it all and just kind of get your hands around it for a second. If you could take all of that frustration and disillusionment, if you could pull it away from the church and away from religion and away from God, and if you could just take it and blame me for it, just put it all on me. It is, it is Jeff Bogue's fault. And maybe it is. It is your fault. You're the jerk, Jeff. You're the liar. You're the hypocrite. You're the guy. It is your fault. I'd like you to blame me for it. And I would like to apologize. I would like to apologize that the church rejected you. I would like to apologize that your sin was taboo and mine wasn't. I'd like to apologize to you 
for being harsh, for being a hypocrite. I like to apologize to you that when you think of followers of Jesus, you don't think of people that will love you or serve you. You think of people that will reject you and judge you. And if you would blame me for it, and if you would offer me forgiveness for treating you that way, maybe it would clear the deck a little. And maybe if you, if you, if you stared at Christ and not me because I did this to you and you saw the heart and the mind of Jesus in like a clear way, maybe it could reset your relationship with God in a different way. Right? So whatever chair you're in, maybe you, maybe you need to be convicted of this sin. Maybe you didn't know about ambassadorship. Maybe you're just checking it out and maybe you're fed up. When you think of what a Christ follower is actually supposed to be and you think of what God actually called people to, the, the concept or the word that we want to get in our brain is ambassador. As if Christ himself were making his appeal. Okay? All right, I'm going to pray. The band will come out. Since we're, since we're like in here and still, let's just chill for a minute, okay? And you can pray if you want. You can talk to God. Don't worry about what to say. Worry about meaning it. He doesn't care what you say. He cares what you mean. And wherever you're at on that spectrum, however you need to like translate the ambassador idea into your life, maybe ask God to, to help you do that and to open your heart and mind to it in a new way, okay? Jesus, help us with this. It's hard. It's difficult, Lord. And, and you know, because you have compassion on us, you know that we're harassed and helpless. And so we come to you from all over the place. And we need you to work in our hearts and we need to see your heart, understand your mind, and then maybe it's even more difficult, trust it. And so, God, if you would help us with that process, let your kindness break through our baggage and draw us to you in a fresh way, we would be grateful. Work in us that way even now, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 